Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pretending to Fight podcast with Dave and Charles. We are joined this week by, well, not this week because we're not doing it every week, but we're joined this episode by the wonderful and talented Johnny Two Fingers and Cannonball Kelly. How are you guys tonight? Just lovely. Nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, what he said. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of that. So Johnny spoke first and followed by Cannonball. Um, these guys have great stories in both rock and roll and in wrestling and great synergy between the two. So uh, I think we'll start with uh, Kelly, if that's cool. Uh, Kelly. Yeah. Kelly, why don't you tell us about uh, some of where you work in wrestling and some of your, then we'll go into like some of your early memories of wrestling and how you got into the business. Okay, uh, right now I'm uh, mainly in a ringside wrestling. That's out of uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. But uh, recently I've been doing a lot of uh, wrestling in Manitoba for various companies. So that's been pretty fun. But mainly Saskatchewan, Manitoba these days. Have you been out for CWE or? I haven't done any CWE shows. I kind of wrestle around them is kind of how it's been playing out. So you're like in the outlaw territories for CWE, basically. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I end uh, up so, working with a lot of the guys that do the CWE show. Yeah, so for sure. And you guys are based out of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, both born and raised there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Moose Jaw was famous to me for the movie Slapshot, uh, which is basically where people have heard of it a lot. Um, wanted to ask you about your earliest memories of wrestling, Kelly. The first thing I ever saw in wrestling was an earthquake crushing Hulk Hogan on the Brother Love Show. And that was traumatizing. And then my cousin explained to me that wrestling wasn't real. And then she was trying to explain to me that she didn't really sit on him. But no, he sat on him. And then I, yeah, pretty well watched since then. So that'd be 1995 years old. Wow, that's a long time ago. I believe I'm the oldest person on the call, so I feel I was 15 at the time. So, oh, do you remember? Do you happen to remember when they, um, when Hulk returned and they did the strings version of Real American with the slow motion video and all that? I missed that one. Oh, really? Yeah, that was how they hyped his return, and it was like a orchestral version of his of his entrance music slowed down and like. Yeah, and then you see this black and white footage of Earthquake walking to the ring, and like they zoom in on his hand holding the cross. It was <laughs> right. Another reason to hate Earthquake was like shortly after he like killed Jake the Snake's snake. Was it Damien? It was Damien. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he had him tied to the ropes, and he did the big earthquake. I'm like, oh no, you can't do that. He did it. He well, they really filmed that well because he took the bag put it under the ring, Ooh. then took out the bag and put it in the ring and crushed it. I really, I've always had some suspicion that it wasn't actually the same bag. Well, again, I'm like six. So like, yeah. I thought for sure. He <laughs> that you were, you were able to suspend disbelief. Oh no, I thought for sure. And yeah. Jake's tied in the ropes. It's like the only time you see him cry. It's like, Oh God. Um, uh, the the wrestling illustrated headline was uh, Jake versus Quake over that poor snake. Oh man, that's perfect. <laughs> I I totally forgot about that uh that uh orchestral version of a real American though. Uh what's really funny with that summer is that they had a write-in campaign 
uh, led by Tugboat. And from what <laughs> I understand, all the, people who, <laughs> all the people who wrote in to uh, support Hulk Hogan uh, suspiciously were now on the WWE mailing list. So That worked out. Yeah, that was a second time because they did that before when they uh, kidnapped Matilda. Matilda. Yeah, and so they did that twice. Did Bobby Heenan that. do that? Yes, Bobby Heenan kidnapped Matilda. With and the you could write, you could write like "Get Well, Matilda" or something. I don't remember what the writing campaign was, but it, oh, yeah, again, oh. it was just they were just trying to build their merchandise catalog list. They use and, angles to build their mailing list. Is that what you're saying to me? That's, that's right. Exactly yeah, it's, <laughs> it's genius. That, that that is pretty solid. I don't. Um, I I suspect there's going to be proliferation of Johnny Two Fingers and the Deformities merchandise through mailing lists now. Well. Oh, now a, that you're giving you us such know. wonderful ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kelly, how did you get into wrestling uh, as, as a performer? Uh, I used to backyard wrestle, one of those. And my one buddy, uh, Joe Newstater, wrestles is uh, Joey Vendetta. We wrestled since we were like 14, 15. And then he saw Nad and Regina for high-impact wrestling tryouts. That was like July 2004. So we went down to that, and then after a month, we were, like, doing their shows. So that was pretty wild. And that was around uh, 99, something like uh, that? July 04. But I've been backyarding since, like, 1998 or something. Oh, stupid. okay, okay. <laughs> so backyarding around 98, 99, and then... No, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Yeah. And then 02, 03. I guess the first time I was ever in a ring was in Langham, Saskatchewan for this guy called Bill Karaz. And there was eight people in a backyard and we couldn't find the place. So we just asked this old lady at the convenience store. And she's like, oh, old Bill, he's got the ring. It's just two blocks down and to the left. We're like, okay. We're thinking like a big coliseum. It's just a backyard. We're like, oh, right on. So, uh, I guess one of the important things people know is that not only are you a wrestler with Johnny as your manager, which we'll get into, uh, you guys are a part of an incredible band as well. So maybe you mentioned first Kelly and Johnny, how you guys met. <laughs> I remember, you, I think, I think one of you mentioned to me before that you met at a, maybe at a wrestling show, I think. Uh, I think John had went to a wrestling show that I was at. Yeah, and like seen me wrestle, but he didn't meet me yeah. at that show. It was like a week later in a pub. We met at a bar. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you guys met at yeah. a bar, and you both both seen each other perform. I laugh because I met him once drunkenly, but that one doesn't really count. Yeah, it's the other one. <laughs> I've met most of my partners at a bar, but you're the only one I can't call an ex, Kelly. Uh, you can't shake him. You, I can't. Can't 11 years strong, baby. I know where my bread's buttered. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, leading up to that, you've been in bands as a drummer, correct? Uh, yep. I uh, I was in a country band and we opened for uh, Jeff Healy in Wayburn, Saskatchewan, (laughs) and I watched him blow a guitar amp. That was pretty cool. And Charles, would you be aware of Jeff Healy? Uh, Angel Eyes. And yes. the movie okay, Roadhouse, the movie yes. Roadhouse, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. 
<laughs> very canadian act <laughs> so i got to beat him that was pretty sweet and then before that i play with my uh pa in a band called the gower power because that's our my last name and we were like a two-piece since i was a kid so that's where i learned to play music pretty much yeah you're yeah your dad was a musician as well right uh yep still is still plays still is? he's like a lounge player now he plays in like a local cafe in town like every thursday okay um so you guys meet you've already been in bands uh johnny you've been in bands as well um yeah what kind of bands were you in before uh my first band i played was called brain sauce and i and i if i do remember correctly that's where we met right kelly it was you watched us play there at the at the royal hotel or whatever uh, but we were like, uh, I played bass in that, a rock and roll type of thing. And then uh, did that for six years and then started doing this thing. And it was a duo, Kelly and I. And then uh, from there, I guess, that's how to you guys, it. You guys largely exist as a duo and kind of have people join the band as, as needed, right? Yeah, I guess because I guess what bass play, players are just weak species. It just, it just, it's a, a little bit harder than it looks, I guess. I can't have <laughs> Speak, any other. Speaking of which, did you start playing bass and then evolve? Is that how it worked? Yeah, that's where everyone has to. It's like, it's like you don't, <laughs> you get stuck playing goalie or something. So get stuck <laughs> playing bass. So no, Johnny, I, try, I enjoy I enjoy playing bass. It's a fun fun thing to do. So yeah, when I saw John the first time, the important thing to mention with brain sauce is John's not very tall. Hey. But they're but they're oh I'm sorry. But their drummer yeah. is a legit like six seven. Oh wow. So just walking into a bar and even just seeing that contrast was like, what is this band? That's pretty cool. Right. Well, why don't we go get into that, Charles? We'll we'll get you in here in a minute. But uh, Johnny, give us give us some uh, insight into your uh, your name and background and how it influences your your career and just your story in general. It's a great human interest story. Well, that's a great question, there, Dave. My name, Johnny Two Fingers, is not just a clever name. Well, it's kind of. And it's not 100% correct because I have two, finger, two, two fingers on my right hand, but technically it's like seven altogether. So I'm really Johnny seven and a half fingers, kind of, if you want to get technical. You'd have to see a picture of it to understand, but the left one, right one has two. I was born with it stuck together and they split it in two. And then uh, the doctors did when I was a little boy. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, I had other operations. I wasn't supposed to walk. And uh, they uh, gave me, I think if I've been operated on. Uh, yeah. Uh, on my hips, my ankles did U-turns. They straightened them out and um yeah yeah and uh, and i remember you telling me your your condition that led to your i mean your height for lack of a better term like uh with your legs can you tell us about that 
Yeah. It's it's five words. It's um let's see here. Bilateral uh, excuse me, congenital, bilateral, femoral, proximal deficiency, which means uh, both femurs from birth are short and that's yeah that's what yeah. that means and uh, and they're not the same height same length either right so you actually yeah. need a shoe lift actually, they shoe originally lift. were they originally were oh, wow. but my sockets are also deformed they kind of had to when the they were starting to disintegrate basically and then they had to surgically put them in in their spot so and that I was seventh grade. I remember that was the last one, and it was just like bone on bone before the operation. I was like leaning up against the wall, like, oh, it hurts so bad, but you're supposed to go out, you know, during recess or whatever, because you're not supposed to stay in there. And it just, I basically just be walking down the way to get there to get back. I don't know. It was, it was awful. But uh, they operated it on, and when they moved, they kind of had to move it up. And that's what shortened my leg, and then they screwed it in there. Yeah, and and not to make it basically what what is astounding is just what an amazing performer you've become, uh, Charles. You really should see these guys live musically. I haven't seen you wrestling, at wrestling, uh, but musically, I was just blown away when I saw you perform. So, <laughs> uh, Johnny, tell us a little bit about. I mean, so you you, you get around and you rock out. That's really impressive with, you know, uh, you know, some of the needs around your femurs, but just the fact that you're able to play with your strumming hand is the one with two fingers, correct? Yeah, that's actually, I owe a lot to a lot of other people to, for where I'm at today. I, I got now a friend of mine, his name's Dan McMillan. He's an author now. But, but we worked together at a bottle depot at one point. He had a dream uh, of gifting me a, a thing that would help, a device that would help me play guitar as a pick that would be attached to my wrist. And he, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, okay. Let's I'll believe it when I see it type of thing. Uh, and then sure enough, he did. He made it. And it was, it, it I, looking at it, it was big and cumbersome. It was made out of a milk jug, and it was a giant hook, and it attached around my wrist, and it went up like a hook, and the hook went between my two fingers, and I could pick because he envisioned like how he would use it. But well, I saw it as if I shrunk it and, and made it the size of my finger and using the Velcro and the milk jug, I could. that's a good place to start, and I ended up sewing a pick to that thing and it worked it worked all right for a while, but the velcro kept detaching so like i mentioned earlier my legs are different lengths my legs are different lengths uh one's about three uh, three inches shorter than the other one so i go to a shoe doctor and his name is ken zek and i got oh that's other part to him because prior to meeting him make these little picks and and it would take like an hour to just uh, to make one. I drill holes in the thing and sew it in and super glue it. And they sometimes they'd fall off. It, it was very difficult to play with that thing. When I showed Ken 
this thing. He's like, oh, I can, I'll, I'll cast your hand and I'm a cast and I'll like put the pick in it. And it's, a, he made this device. Um, it's made out of polyurethane and the pick, a one millimeter pick, I can just clip it in and out. It takes literally 30 seconds. And I put this thing over my finger and I can wrap it up with the that wrap. Uh, it comes with, in different names, but it's this stuff that's used for animals. I think it was originally designed for animals when they break their legs or athletes use it too, but it only sticks to itself. And, it, and when it's on there, you can pull it. Like if I wrap that stuff too tight, it'll start cutting off the circulation to my finger. So I've kind of developed a way to put it on. But once I got that thing strapped, once I got that thing strapped down, watched out because like, I suddenly didn't have to worry about the thing falling off my hand and I could start focusing on, you know, putting on a show and interacting with the people and, and expressing myself, how I heard in my head playing the solo, like my, my goal, my dream. And I never thought I'd be able to do it because originally I played bass and I used to try to duct tape a pick to my finger, which didn't work. Sometimes I'd play it so hard. It would, I would just bleed all over and I just, put it away in my mind that I'd never play it. I thought I'd just be a rhythm guy until, you know, Mr. McMillan, Mr. Zach showed me these, gave me these things. So it was pretty. How long ago was that? Oh, dude. Oh, dear. I think uh, 2013 may have been when, or 15, perhaps. Wow. 13. 15 was when I got that thing from Ken. And, and I saw was, you in 2019 and it was just, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't sit there and think, wow, this is a guy who plays well considering, you know, he has two fingers. I was like, this is amazing watching the two of you together. Yeah. And it was just, I was transfixed watching the performance. Um, Charles are being a parent. Are you familiar with the movie dolphin tale? I'm not. Okay. So uh, I believe when I mentioned this to you, Johnny, you, it was the first time you were hearing of it, but the movie Dolphin Tale is about an actual true story. And they basically use the actual dolphin because you can't recreate it in Clearwater, Florida, where the dolphin named Winter they found as a baby uh, washed up on the shore and had lost its tail. And they were able to rehabilitate uh, Winter in their aquarium. But uh well, their aquarium, like a marina. I don't mean like a fish aquarium at home or anything like that. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh, the, this dolphin would was able to swim, but it would do it with an up and down motion uh, as opposed to side to side like it's supposed to be. Uh, or maybe it was the other way. No, yeah, it, was, it would go side to side. Oh, yeah. This, and uh, instead of up and down. And I believe that what they did is they made a prosthetic for that dolphin. And became a world inspiration story. And I believe that is where the material was developed. Oh, yeah. I recall that now. Yeah. 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 So, you're back to that uh, greasy bar in Oshawa, right? Yeah, the greasy bar in <laughs> Oshawa. Which, yeah. you know, we, we, we narrowed down a bit more. But <laughs> what, what, What's that? Uh, it was Dino's place. What was that place called? The Atria? Yeah. Wasn't Dino it. the owner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Charles, your your kids would love that that movie, and Johnny, yours yours would too, I'm sure. So. Yeah, it sounds all right. Yeah, it yeah. does. So, uh, and unfortunately, Winter hasn't made it. Uh, Winter is no longer with us, but ah. thankfully, Johnny Two Fingers is alive and well. So, yeah, that's good. That's that's one for two. That's that's good. one for two. <laughs> one for me, zero for Winter. Yes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so. Uh, can you guys, Charles? Do you have any questions about musical styles or anything like that? Um, I guess I would just say, like, were I guess did, did you do you feel like you kind of had two competing dreams? I guess is that kind of the best way to think about it? Oh, interesting. Well, when I when I was a little kid, I wanted to. I wanted to be a wrestler and I just, I wanted to be a wrestler or a paleontologist or a her- herpetologist, which studied reptiles or amphibians. One of, one of those two. And then uh, yeah, I just didn't envision, well, I didn't have the size or and I just realized, oh, I can never be that, you know? So I, I, it wasn't, it was a little after high school when I picked up music, but not, nah, now I like to me it's almost like combine the both of them they're they inspire the other thing it like, one motivates me to do the other one more and to bring both worlds in like in September we're playing in Vancouver and uh, at a wrestling show there so oh that's awesome yeah. you, you touched on something really interesting I, I love the idea that you can be in a match or watching a match and then get like an idea for your music or performing or in, you know, in the creative process, putting together a song or whatever. And um, a wrestling idea kind of gets spun from that. I I think that's, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We like to, I think most of the the best ideas Kelly are when we're driving in the van. Hey, yeah, that's usually where the wildest ones come together. Yeah, all of our best ideas, all of our wildest dreams, <laughs> our, our business plans, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you like Life on the Road? Uh, it's I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I frankly, I, I love it too. It's hard. I've got two little ones. It's for me, it's harder. It's hard to leave. But man, um, when you're on there, when you're when you being out out and being able to play night after night after night after night, like I think when we met Dave there, we were on a midst of a quite a lengthy tour, like a thirty nine yeah. dayer. Is that that it, one? It, it could have been that one. I think it was eighteen shows you were doing in Ontario. Nice. Right. That was nice. Oof. <laughs> it was just more to see if we could do it or not. That's and kind of what a lot of our tours are. We just like pack a lot of shows just right after the other. After it's better the other. than not doing anything. Yeah, we'd be really bored if there is no shows. Well, then we you could start like spending we could look around at making... sites. We could check out the. We went cult... to the aquarium, Kelly. Remember? Well, I did go. go. I I went on the tower. There now. Travis went with me. My great uncle said it was. <laughs> you had the dolphin? No. 
<laughs> oh, that dolphin's long gone. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, uh, you were talking. One one thing to mention with you, like I mean, you've got a story yourself as well. Like your your day job is uh, landscaping, and uh, you've had quite a transformation through that. Mm-hmm. Before that, I worked. I ran a seed plant for about fifteen years. Before then, it uh, the uh, guy that ran it basically retired, so it shut down. So then I started doing this other job and it's a lot of walking way more than I've ever done. And uh, yeah, through that, I lost about 80 pounds so far over like a couple of years. It's that championship lifestyle, Kelly. Right. Cigarettes (laughs) and Pepsi. Now I could jump higher, crush harder. Uh, Has it impacted your wrestling quite a bit positively? Yeah. uh, I miss the uh, crushing. Well, I noticed like back in the day, I could like lean on people, kind of like Vader. Like if I got blown up, I could just like lay on them with a pin or something, be a jerk a little bit. Kelly, now, you often say your cardio is way better. You're so impressed with yourself. Yes, my cardio is way better now. Yeah. <laughs> and and correct me if I'm wrong. If I recall correctly, you had actually left wrestling at one point. I left in 2017 to like really give the music a shot. No, wait, not 2000. It was like 2016, but then like 2017, Mick Foley was coming to town. So I had to come back basically. (laughs) Yeah, he requested us. Did he? Well, Mick Foley didn't request us. Yes, he uh, did. Shut up, Kelly. Don't this guy. We had a request to be at the show. With Sweet. Mick Foley present in the match, but Mick Foley didn't. He saved me. <laughs> so let's go into the Save story. So me. one thing to clarify, Johnny, you have basically, when did you start working your way in as being manager for Kelly? Right around that moment. I brought Cannonball Kelly out of retirement. You're welcome, <laughs> world. So hey, let's, talk, let's talk How about it? that show. Mick Foley we- comes to, Moose, to Regina or Moose Jaw? Yes, I, got, I can set it up here. I know how it goes. I got to figure it out. So Good. we did that long tour, like 39 days. And then me and Johnny went and attended a high impact wrestling show. And King Cash was getting attacked by his former friends, Michael Allen, right. Richard Clark, Mike McSugar. Yeah. Those did you, did you say Kid Cash? As King Cash. King Cash. King okay. Cash. Formerly Big Daddy Cash. Formerly, who oh, I don't remember his first <laughs> name. It's like, oh, what is it? Ooh, I don't, I, I don't know, but they were beating him up. So I came in from the crowd at the crowd's request in Johnny's assistance. Mm-hmm. I attacked them, setting up ba- a match for baby the next face one. at this time. Baby face at this time. Oh yeah. And then it set up a match he the kicked. next month against Clark, and he pulled Johnny from the crowd and he booted him in the face. No reason. No reason. Besides, he's an asshole. Well, he's a jerk. Well, I'm sure. say that. No. Sorry. One Sorry, thing I re- one thing I do remember, uh, Charles, you really like this, is uh, that you guys talked about your work with McFoley on that, and Johnny, you kind of had a moment with McFoley where you realized like what may be a disability to some was actually a form of evolution for you to become McFoley's apprentice. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. Oh, sorry. You want to say that again? (laughs) So what might seem like a disability to some actually showed that through evolution, you were in the perfect spot to be teamed with Mick Foley with the two fingers and the mandible claw. 
Oh, oh. You have the real mendable claw, my friend. Well, uh, I, well, I was tossed. Yeah, I was about to get pile driven. Actually, there's a little lead up to that because out of nowhere, Kathy, King Kathy, is a big schmoz. And I, well, I gave a bitch a stunner anyways. And she went <laughs> down. And then suddenly, uh, who was it? Clark, who's pissed? No, it was McSugar. He's pissed and he grabbed me. He was going to, was he going to hurt? Yeah, he was going to hurt me. And then it was like the music plays and there's for legend, WWE Hall of Famer, Mick Foley coming down. He throws Mr. Sacco at me. I catch it, put it on my two finger hand, deliver a testicular claw. Testicular claw. Testicular claw. And I grab twist pull just how my daddy used to come taught me. So what? That's how your dad didn't teach you how to do that. Anyway, it's mm. me there. So grab, mm. twist, pull, particular mm-hmm. claw. Yeah, uh, I got a dodge there, and 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 my hero, and it was uh, it was a glorious moment. Of probably top three, like uh, my. I'll be my children being born, <laughs> meeting McFoley. My, wait, are you, wait, are you juggling the two? <laughs> like my child, <laughs> like like my children being born, McFoley. Is that what save you're doing? Me, yeah. Oh, well, no. If you didn't see me, I probably wouldn't be around to be with my children. Fair Everything point. about that. Well, I just did now. True. That's a fair point. Thank you. <laughs> I do know as well, one thing that uh, is interesting when we go back to uh, Kelly's story about uh, Earthquake and Hogan and then Earthquake Oof. and Jake <sighs> is that, uh, you know, that led to Jake having a new snake called Lucifer. And then from there. Didn't he, didn't he 180? He didn't mourn long that one. Yeah, he, he, he. <laughs> He then went to the dark side. He then like got a goddamn python to kill Macho Man Randy Savage no, on live television. That's when I was that's seven. No way. And Johnny, is that out. not your first wrestling memory, if I recall? I remember that. Oh, he was my favorite. I don't know if that was one of my first memories, but I do remember that vividly at my Auntie Jones house. And they were pro- it was probably on Saturday morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> going hand on Macho Man's arm. And I was conflicted because I love Jake the Snake old time. Because I just have, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't finish study reptiles and stuff. So I love the Snake Man. And then I never really liked Macho Man. I always thought he was a pompous asshole. Oof. He was very nice. Looking back, and he was never very nice to Miss Elizabeth. He just drank too much coffee. Or or to Sherry. I I think we all knew. I think we all know that Snake was really acting on behalf of Miss Elizabeth. Hey, if you remember, Sherry wasn't very nice to him. All right. Hey. Yes. I mean, that's a really interesting time for WWE or WWF then, just because. I mean, if if, it. a lot of the stuff that they did that year is the kind of stuff that you would read that it's some small territory did and then they got kicked off TV. Like they were doing that kind of stuff, but they were doing it nationally every week. I mean, 
I just remember, you know, Elizabeth had been presented as this demure, kind of untouchable, almost angelic presence for years and years. And then he grabs her by the chin and like kind of smacks her a little bit. And oh, those, Tuesday in Texas. Yes. And then there's that promo afterwards that it felt so good. He should have had to pay for it. I'm like, and then he like God. DDTs him like three times during that promo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just, it was pretty crazy. Oof, <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Also conflicting um, memories. Cause I, yeah, Doug Jake, I didn't hate Savage near as much as John appears to. I mean, come on. Bonesaw was ready, John. Fuck. <laughs> Well, there was a few of them I had real. I I was very loyal. He even threw if, Dennis Rodman into a porta potty and kicked it over. You hate Randy Savage? Yeah. Gorgeous George. Well, no, I'm I'm over it now. I'm referencing like the I, weirdest I, Randy Savage things, but I stand by it. Yeah, I know, <laughs> Kelly. So, in terms of like your wrestling style, um would you say that, I mean, was it that time period that kind of influenced you or did you get into other stuff that influenced how you wrestle? Like what would you say was the biggest influence during that time or during later times even? When I was a, when I was a teenager, it was like WWF and WCW, but then they had a ECW on TNN. It started airing on Spike TV in Canada when I was like, oh, like 14. I started like watching that pretty religiously and then they were selling the tapes at the walmart like heat wave 98 and anarchy rules 99 and those are pretty wild shows like <laughs> and i forgot about those tapes but you're right yeah there's like Elliot, have, you ever 98. Watched, have you ever What's watched that? anything called uh any of the frontier fmw from japan from that time period uh yeah mike mcsugar ha- is has a pretty unique tape collection along with joey vendetta so uh yeah, Mike McSure. I think Joey Vendetta had like a best of FMW. So we yeah. were like Hayabusa, Mr. Ganaske. Oh, Masato Tanaka, Wing Canamera. Wing Canamera was insane. Yes, he was. Uh, I- Cactus Jack went through there. Terry, there was like a sweet tag match. It's like Terry Funk and Mike Awesome against Hayabusa and somebody. Um, Masato Tanaka, I think. Yeah. So insane. I asked. I ask for a reason because I am one of the people who's going to know more people that know, have watched more wrestling and have more wrestling footage than anyone that probably most people know. Right. And I will put Charles on this call at the near the top of that list at the very least. Nice. I've got a couple of pay-per-views. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few tapes, but I got like a whole lot logged in my brain that I've just watched just from borrowing my friends' tapes. <laughs> yeah, and Kelly, you you started being influenced a lot by. Uh, I mean, okay, ECW. You talked about uh, Balls Mahoney was an influence on your look for sure, right? I uh, definitely stole Balls Mahoney's look, the ripped up jeans, the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mick Foley, we talked about in terms of, uh, you know, his influence in terms of getting to perform with him. But he certainly, I, I know, like, I really found when I watched some of your matches that your your ring movements are similar to him. Mm-hmm. He's probably like, yeah, he's definitely probably my favorite. Yeah. Like when I you like watching the bodies are deteriorating. Come on now. Oh, Kelly, come on. <laughs> I don't talk with a high pitched squeal. I don't know how he does that. I know ah. you don't talk like him. You walk like him, Kelly. I'm worried about you. Well, do you see how you walk? <laughs> oh, jeez. 
<laughs> Come Mr. on, Kelly. I was baby. I was born this way. Well, you got that. If you're gonna use logic against me, anyways, yeah, Mick so Foley. Anyways. First time I saw, I never really watched Raw regularly because, like, getting the TV with like four other siblings for any length of time was impossible. But video four network sisters, by the way, there were sisters. Four sisters, four of them. Two of them but, are twins. But there was a videotape network that had every pay per view from WWF '95 to '97. So I watched like King of the Ring '96. Mankind and Taker and like the Boiler Room Brawl. Those are the first things I saw Foley in. That was like, what is this guy? Yeah, that would that would be then, some of the stuff to watch. And, and then, then that's spi- and then that spilled into finding out about Cactus Jack and WCW. And his he mentioned wrestling Vader on like his sit down interview. I'm like, he wrestled Vader. And then I'm like looking through old pro wrestling torches at like the 7-Eleven, definitely loitering. I'm like he wore cactus you know, Vader and Cactus in '93. What the hell was that? <laughs> Wrestling's you know, great. The Wrestling's, footage, wrestling's you know, amazing before Google because you couldn't just go to YouTube <laughs> and be like, "All right, let's go find Cactus versus Vader." It's like, well, when am I ever going to see that? Someday, I guess. You, you know, it's it's funny you talk about that time period. I used to have something, and I don't even know if it's in circulation anymore. From the loved one, you know, the, the home movie that McFoley made that they showed clips of on Raw oh, yeah. Yeah. during those yeah. interviews. But that was actually in trading circles for a long time. You, I mean, did you remember seeing that, Dave? Like, that was something that a few people had before. I, I never seen the whole thing, but I've seen, I've loved the 1997 sit down interview with uh, him and Jim Ross. Yeah. Where, he, yeah. where they basically make it into like this life changing event for him. They turn right. him into a they turn him into a baby face with never actually doing an in-ring angle. It was just that interview. So that was pretty unique. Yeah. It, it def- yeah, you know, that's a great point. Um I I know uh Kelly, like your ring movements are uh, sorry, Charles, did you want to speak more about the uh artisticness of the loved one? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just pointing out, you know, because we put it over more. Trading. Put we it talking... over more. <laughs> we were talking about the trading, you know, yeah. take trading and all that. And I just thought that was that was interesting that you know that whole movie was always being circulated during that time. Um Kelly, would you say your wrestling is very much self-taught? Um I got trained the basics, but um I used to take judo before I wrestled for about four years. So I utilize a lot of the somersaults and rolls and stuff like that. The reason I ask is because, you know, uh, your bumps are really impressive. Like I would think almost like Adrian Adonis, like in your bumping style. And I kind Charles, of definitely Charles, got you know that from a high judo. compliment. <laughs> that? Adrian Adonis was a great bumper, but I, I haven't ever tried to do that that roll in the corner Shawn michaels does it too like the up and over and falls back oh down. yeah i'm like fuck i could probably nail it but i'm just so terrified i'm gonna kill myself you know that's kind of been a change in wrestling you don't really see people that have signature defense anymore right. like things like you remember the a couple of years ago on twitter when the whole rick rude atomic drop thing had gone viral for a little while how he sold it Right, right. Yeah. Um, but there were little things like that, like, you know, like the standard bump that you mentioned Sean would take and that Flair would take in the corner and, and that sort of thing. Right. You don't really see wrestlers. I mean, everyone has signature offense, but no one really has 
signature defense anymore. I, or at least not as many people. I even noticed, like, going back to Foley, like, no, like, opponent ever looked more brutal than when they worked, like, McFoley, because, like, McFoley yeah. would never take a hip toss in the ring, but he'd, like, take it into the steps. <laughs> yeah, and he did that. Or he'd that. never take a regular suplex in the ring. He'd do something weird with it, or, like, they'd grab his head and, like, bounce him off the ramp. It was always, like, those are, like, signature Foley, like, Spots. I always loved the bump, and I, I I haven't seen this in forever. Where you, I mean, I, I mean, he lost his ear doing it, but you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, the one where you're I knew, oh yeah, the, going. yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. You flip Texas. over, and your head gets caught in between. I the should rows. know what that's called. The hangman, the, hang the Texas hangman. Hang hang yeah. yeah, that's another one I've always thought about because, like, I've I've no. watched it, I've watched it in slow mo, and I see how he does it, but it's just like that is such a wild card move to try. <laughs> But it gets attention. Yeah, I guess a lot of it probably depends on the ring, too. I mean, if you don't trust the ring, then... Yeah, like, I would never do it in the NWA ring, like, with just, like, the thin ropes and, like, the garden hose cables. Like, that would never work, ever. But, like, with those looser ropes, like, boxing ring ropes... (laughs) Like you said, he lost his ear doing it. So, there's that example. You've got two of them, though. He used to do it with the barbed wire. He did it with Eddie Gilbert oh, and then Christ. like a Terry Funk match. And every time I see that, I'm like, why? Yeah, that's like, nice. I don't know how you do that. And don't think it's doesn't end horribly. Like, there's no way you just walk out being like, oh, well, that was a good spot where nothing happened. <laughs> um, <sighs> Ellie, I know I compared you to Foley and Adonis. The other comparison I want to make is who Ross Hart compared you to as well. Ooh, crush your Blackwell. Yes, it is. Nice. I uh, I never really knew who Crusher Blackwell was until he mentioned it, and then I started YouTubing him, and, like, yeah, he's got some classic matches against Andre where Andre lets him slam him, and he's just taking huge bumps and doing drop kicks, but he's, like, yeah. a legit four, like, three, fifty, four hundred. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, Charles and I, a friend of ours, Dylan, is probably one of the biggest proponents of the awesomeness of Crusher Blackwell. What should I watch? What are like his classic matches? I just saw like a couple, mainly the Andre stuff. I think anything. I, I was about to mention the AWA set, but I'm not sure if you know what that is. But I yeah, think AWA. Yeah, yeah, DVDR. Uh, but did the, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Death Valley Driver message board did like a best of the '80s thing for all of the groups a while back. Okay, and they compiled sweet. like 125 matches, I want to say, for the AWA. And the, that's probably everything that Blackwell has on there. He probably has 10, 15 matches, if I had to guess. Those and are basically a lot of his ones. stuff against the high flyers of Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne is just probably some of the best stuff on there. Yeah, I'd probably – yeah, I'd like to see – yeah, I was just watching him against other big dudes. Watch him against high flyers be pretty sweet. Yeah, that's really where you want to see him. Bam Bam Bigelow is another one, too, that was like – I like recently the, did a podcast with her friend Alan Farrell on Bam Bam Bigelow. He's probably like the best big man bumper I've ever seen. Like his bumps are just like – they have some snap to them. They're pretty wild. Yeah, he'd be up there. Mm-hmm. So we get into, you know, all your in-ring shenanigans, and then we get into, uh, you know, Johnny becoming your manager – and I just wanted to ask you guys about, you know, your relationship with the fans. Oof. 
<laughs> John, is this your time to shine? You, you, you tell him. You tell him what you think. I want you to tell you. I want you to tell everybody. You, what you I, think I think it's fair to say that you of definitely fans in Regina. You oh, definitely the, got you guys. Oh, the wrestling. Oh, the baby oh. bandwagon. Oh, the ringside wrestling fans in Regina. Oh, yeah, the worst. Tell them. Oh, the absolute worst breed of human scum. Probably around. Yep, the Regina ringside wrestling fans. I just can't with them. Thumbags. Nah, but the Saskatoon, the Saskatoon Prairie Pro wrestling fans. Oof, the best. Well, they understand that we're cultural icons. Bunch of solid cats. <laughs> they can. I'd have, see- I'd have a drink with all those guys and gals at a bar. But the Regina ringside wrestling fans, no respect. The, yeah, no, the, none whatsoever. For one us. that one that one front row. The people of Walmart from I really don't what's, like them. What's wrong with Walmart? Their prices are unbeatable. <laughs> well, not you know, it's not really so much Walmart as some of the clientele, and uh, it's some of the people they attract. And mm. like these, some these people, like the 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 wheelchair lady who <laughs> flips me off every single talk fire. For no good reason. She, she does bark, hate uh, you a lot. Barks at me because I think she is part dog. I and have then, seen her bark at people, mainly her, you. I don't even know they're all inbred. I don't know what the family relationship. Right, that can't be confirmed. <laughs> God, yeah. man, and that kid, that little Jerry Maguire kid from that here. kid, that My kid. He says, "I don't know what you're talking about." That kid. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that kid. I don't. Anyways. Know. That kid is so stupid. The first time <laughs> me off with, he's like number one. He's like you point me. Yeah, and but his parents think that's okay for the child flipping off a man. They myself. say horrible things to you. They're they they were more afraid of me, but they say horrible things to you. I don't even like. I don't even like talking about it anymore. Mm. Am I am I hearing that you guys are like? Heels in Regina, but baby faces in Saskatoon. I don't really know like what that 19- means. What? I'm just trying to tell you they disrespect us. It's different everywhere. I think we just treat it case to case. I just yeah. thought it sounds a little bit like the Sometimes 1997 Heart greatness. Foundation angle. Oof. <laughs> On the lower scale, but yeah, I like those vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We've heard about those Regina fans all the way down here in Chicago. So I, I think they're onto something. They're yeah. aggressive. They're very hate-filled, but I like to scream at them. So, it it sounds like they're kind of like bass players, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just ever rotating, always screaming, always annoyed, <laughs> never happy. Oh, uh, you guys are a riot. <laughs> mm. So, Johnny, how how do you like? Uh, you know, all serious. How how do you enjoy being a manager? I mean, what kind of uh, how do you feel you've taken to that role? Ask him how much he listens to Jim Cornette. Oh man, that's I will. I listen to that. I listen to every every podcast thing. I I never thought it. I never. It started during the pandemic. It started with the clips, and then suddenly I listened to the whole thing. But that's besides. I just don't get me sidetracked, Kelly. Let me answer Dave's question first. Yep, sorry. I. It's been a dream come true to be able to be in. I don't, you know, sometimes I might be involved. Sometimes I've been thrown in a dog cage and been disrespected. But Uh, sometimes, sometimes we come out on top. 
and to be to be like sometimes they even chant my name for some unbeknownst reason oof wrestle rock that's what that yeah, is yeah it's a great thing and uh it hurts sometimes I'm, i would not recommend getting hit in the head with a chair that's the, never do that uh what other things i would uh don't agree if you get your head put in a sack make sure your hands are up because when you fall into the turnbuckle that's gonna hurt for John Bill, John Dale being like a rookie, he's taken like the top three bumps I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> but it's, luckily, it's my head and nothing, and you know, nothing I use. You with. really embrace the moment. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can word it. Yeah. So I have a question about wrestling managers. And as a wrestling manager, maybe you can answer this. It's something I've struggled to understand the entire time I've been a wrestling fan. Uh oh. I've seen moments where a wrestler will fire their manager. And I've seen moments where the manager will fire the wrestler. So my question is, who exactly works for whom in that relationship? Um, just, just wondering if you're able to kind of break that down for me. Well, I feel like it would be case to case. Like, uh, if you go with the Heenan family, they always said that they were contracted to Heenan. So when it came to the Heenan family, they can't fire Heenan. They Heenan would have to fire them. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, it depends. Yeah, because... I'm well, trying to think of... Who else got fired? Oh, did J.J. So Dillon get fired? Like, I mean... If, I, like, I feel like Ric Flair could fire J.J. Dillon because, you know, he doesn't run the horseman. And Ric Flair and Barry Windham did fire J.J. Dillon in 1989, and they brought in Hiro Matsuda. Yes, in they fact. did. Yeah. And, oh, man. He trained they, Lex Luger. I, I only know because I watched that biography. <laughs> he also trained Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I know. I was about to be like, he trained Luger, and I think Hogan. I think he, like, broke his leg. Like you do? He did. He did. <laughs> Take take that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bam Bam, I know Bam Bam Bigelow publicly hired Oliver Humperdinck, so maybe he would be more in a position to fire. Ooh. Yeah, and then and then he must have regretted that because and like after could, that, um, like and, fired and Mac, right? And Mankind and Paul Bear's relationship was that a working relationship or was that just like what was that? Well, he was kind of Undertaker's <laughs> stepdad because he was actually Kane's father, right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, and then mankind was called him Uncle. It was a family Uncle. Uncle. Oh Paul. yeah, that's yeah. That. Mrs. Foley, baby boy, just wanted to be wanted. Yeah. <sighs> that was some classic stuff that year when you'd see like uh, they'd have. Paul Bearer, Gold Dust, and Mankind being interviewed, and Mankind would have his head on Gold Dust's lap, and Gold Dust is like petting his hair. I forgot. I forgot. Mankind and Gold Dust for a tag shortly. Didn't they fight? Yeah. No wait. Mankind and Vader were a team too, weren't they? They were. Just for some reason, like you do. <laughs> um, I mean, the Mankind character, like, really, it's just the whole story was just this guy just like looking anywhere for love. Like that's. It really, I mean, every I mean, he looked to Vince for a while, um, to the fans for a while. It was just to the rock, yeah, to, to the rock. Pick me, yeah. Steve. Pick yeah, me. But... <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a guy just really in search of love. 
Like that's this... pretty much the story. Oh, actually, yeah, he's I'm actually actually a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Oh, going full circle. Going full circle. I don't think Yokozuna could fire Mr. Fuji just because of the ribs that would be assaulted upon him. Oh. I thought you were saying Yokozuna's ribs, which we've never seen. Oof. <laughs> Didn't he have to eat ribs? I feel like that probably was probably a, a lot once. of them, yes. Like, watch Yokozuna <laughs> eat ribs. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you were talking, we were talking about Mick Foley being a man in search of love. And I just want to, you know, I don't know. That just made me segue to your guys' relationship and how in, in sync you are with uh, each other. Uh, we're in love, Kelly. I guess so. Well, and I say it like as a joking segue, but in all honesty, like you guys like really have this synergy between you, between rock and roll and wrestling. And, uh, it just kind of happened to have met at a bar one time. So. Uh, interestingly enough, I have previously gotten a quote about you guys from one of your frequent opponents, Kelly, uh, in uh, Mentallo. And I asked him what he thought of you guys as a group. And he said, over their nine years together, they've developed a unique chemistry in and out of the ring. They each know what the other is thinking and work effectively as a unit. Johnny Two Fingers has an immense wrestling IQ for having little to no experience within the world of wrestling. Well, did you hear that, Johnny Two Fingers? I, he kind of there. I have experience. I have knowledge. What do you say? Limited to what? We no, stole his. At, we at, stole at his belt. Two, at that time in 2019, you had limited experience in wrestling, but you had an immense wrestling IQ. Considering that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I'll take that. Right. We stole his belt, and then we cheated. Well, we didn't cheat. It was legal. We took his belt officially, and he, and he still loves us. In fair and square. You wrestled I, him this uh, last month, didn't you, Cannonball? I, I've wrestled him several times. I wrestled him in Reston, Manitoba. I don't want to talk about who won. And then I wrestled him again in, ooh, Little Saskatchewan, Manitoba. I don't want to talk about who won there either. And a tag match somewhere. Hilltop Resort, Manitoba. I don't want to talk about who won that one. Either. <laughs> well, that's because I wasn't there, Kelly. Yeah, John Johnny Two Figures was preoccupied. And I think um, it's pretty clear if I want to know, the worst thing I could do is ask a fan somewhere in Regina who won those matches. Because they're just gonna lie to me, right? They're gonna they're gonna be uh fictitious in their answer, I yeah. think. <laughs> Maybe they should focus re- focus more on renaming their town than their hatred for you too. Yeah, come on! Every stand-up comedian that rolls through here is like, you know, what town sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charles, are you familiar with the work of Mentallo? I'm not. Yeah, so he's a guy from from Saskatchewan who's done a lot of work. He did a lot of work in Japan for uh, Tajiri yeah. Smash. Yeah, he did smash wrestling with uh, Tajiri. Uh, there's a couple matches he's had with Kenny Omega. He might have trained Omega. I think he's listed as Kenny Omega's trainer on the match guide wrestling site. I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> and he's also done some stuff in uh, Lucha, has he not? He has. He's, uh, yeah. He also, uh, he did a match with Juice of Thunder Liger. He sh- sent me a link once. Like a and not only match. did he do a match with Liger, when I looked him up earlier, he's actually done a match with uh, with Tatsumi Fujinami. What? 
I yeah. gotta ask. I gotta ask him about that. Yeah, Mentolo in the back is super chill. When I used to watch those, when I used to watch the wrestling matches before it was Corner and Kelly, Mentolo was by f- like he was always one of the best performers, one of the best wrestlers the entire show. All of his strikes looked devastating. His moves were crisp. His movement was crisp. Great wrestler. Super smooth. Yeah. Even though he's a jerk and I hate him. And uh, when I met you guys as well, you were a champion at the time. Were you not, Kelly? Ringside North American champion. Who did I beat for it? John Dale. Mentolo. Yeah. Yeah, you did, Kelly. I had my hand on the rope but it was a Falls Count Anywhere match. So I think that is technically legal. I think so. Sad, that counts. Are you uh, are you champion these days? I am not. I was a tag team champion for a long time with a Bucky McGraw as part of Teen Synergy. And I've been trying to beat up Sheik Shabazz for the Prairie Pro Wrestling heavyweight title the last couple months. He's fun to hit, but hard to beat. He keeps kicking me in the balls. Oh. <laughs> Why are your stuff landing on YouTube these days? Uh, but yep, I've uh, I've uh, been putting up. I've been putting up matches, and um, there's a referee. Do you know uh, Bob Leonard? That he name sounds to, familiar. He used to be Stampede Wrestling photographer, and then he was a high impact wrestling or announcer forever. And his daughter, his granddaughter's a ref. She's been refereeing around uh, Saskatchewan the last year or so. And uh, she's been filming matches. So I've got a lot of matches off her that are on YouTube. That's great. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your goals in wrestling? Oof. Well, my one goal is to meet Mick Foley. So I got that out of the way. Uh and your other your other idols like Kenta Kobashi and Stan Hansen are retired, so those probably aren't coming. Ooh, Kenta Kobashi's amazing. Uh, ooh, I uh, I don't really have any high aspirations. I'm kind of I just yeah, I just like hitting people. I got an impulse control problem, which is why I think I'm a wrestler and a drummer. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself to be a musician who wrestles or a wrestler who's into music? Ooh. I think I'm a person that has an impulse control problem that likes to hit things. He's a sadistic son of a bitch. He does. Yeah, like, that that mm-hmm. that probably works out. I guess it would be. Oh, I'd probably. Oh, I was a drummer before I was a wrestler. So, ooh, you know that's a very hard question where I have to look into my soul. Thanks, Dave. I, I aim to please. Uh, what's this? Oh God. Uh. Uh. uh, uh next question um I, i'm just kind of thinking about the the timing you know you always hear so much about how much how timing is so important in wrestling like knowing exactly you know when to hit something and oh yeah um, you know all of that so i'm just thinking about that compared to drumming and i can see how those skills could really go hand in hand mm-hmm. yeah there's kind of a rhythm to both of them where like music you kind of have set what you're going to do but 
wrestling the last couple of years, like I used to be like the guy that was in the back that would like put his spots together, like every one, like this one, this one, this one, this one. And then like the last two or three years, I've been more of a, let's just go out there and listen to the crowd and see what happens. Just call stuff in the moment. That's a lot funner, I noticed. Um, have you guys been able to tour with wrestling and and music at the same time? Well, this show coming up in Vancouver will be the first time that it was. It's like on purpose, so yeah, yeah, uh, we'll be working something from the stage to the ring in Vancouver there, which will be like the. But we've done it. We've done it a couple times before. Uh, one time for um, high. And Kelly had a steel cage match against King Cash, and we played him down. This was the only time that Cannonball Kelly never played for the deformities was when he walked him, or when he was walking down the the aisle for his steel cage match when we down it. So uh, we were really oh, and then we played a, a at a motorbike shop this summer. At uh, DNA Cycles here in Moose Jaw, we played at their parking lot, and uh, then we did a wrestling thing first, and then uh, Kelly did a match, and then we, then there was a battle roll, did a set. Ooh, that was a big day. <laughs> so, like more and more, they're starting to bleed together. There's been nights where I've done double duty in Saskatoon where like a wrestling or in Regina where like a wrestling show and a music show or on the same day in the same city. Then I have to hit them both. I know. Which, uh, which is one time I, I had to work. They were taping high impact three weeks. So I had to wrestle the first match. Then I had to leave and play the show. And I had to come back for the main event angle for like a run in and like, I was just walking in when it started. Like I walked in, they're like, "Oh shit, he's here! Just go to the ring." Me, oh okay. <laughs> now, musically, I know one of some of the stuff I covered with you the time we met is like some of your influences there as well. So, what are, what have been some of your influences for both of you musically? Ooh, I'd say. And what is your style like? I'd say Black Sabbath, uh, ACDC. Uh, definitely have a Led Zeppelin vibe as well. Yeah, I definitely hear uh, some George Thorogood in there sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Alvin Lee, ten years after, I like that. That Ooh. stuff happens a lot. Fancy reference. Oh, come on, get cultured, Kelly. Come on. But yeah, we like the. But certainly, like the the hard rock type of vibe uh, is certainly a hard, like a lot of ACDC vibe on it, but like Jimi Hendrix too, like there's kind of like a psychedelic heavy hard rock kind of blues thing, blues rock thing going on. Yeah. We like to form a stew with all the meats of the cultural uh, Just being a genres. Yeah. So it really can you know, Kelly can really, and Travis, the bass player, they can really go off. And now, sounds like uh, a lot is going on with just three guys. 
<laughs> now you guys have done some albums together as well, right? Yeah, that's true. I think three or four now. I think so. Yeah. Uh, what are the albums called? Oof. The good eating. Good yeah. eating. Yeah. Uh, McMillan's monster. After who helped had the dream about that pig thing, and the other thing was called uh, Built to Rock and Roll. That was the EP, and then we recorded uh, Time Child. And then you do have a website for your music as well, right? Yeah, uh, com and our numerals. So I I really think a goal for the two of you should be to have some synergy between with your website for the wrestling as well. Ooh, That's nice, good idea. I know Ooh. we actually really need a good, like a proper proper website because that link goes to our band cam. Right, Dave? It doesn't do it justice. Yeah, perhaps we can work on that. Charles, what were you going to say? Oh, go ahead, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Austin Idol in the early 80s had a band that would do, I guess what you'd call a diss track now against other wrestlers at the time. I think they were called the Hearthrobs, maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure. And they kind of had that hard rock sound, but like, I don't know. That, that was kind of an interesting mix. Like he was had his it, band and they would, yeah, perform songs against his opponents and stuff. Was that out of Memphis? That was out of Georgia, actually. Georgia Championship Whoa. Wrestling. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I'm like, I thought for sure that might have came out of Memphis. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a Memphis idea for sure. Like right. just in terms of everything, but they, yeah, they were out of Atlanta. Yeah, because that's he he did quite a bit there in the early 80s as well, right? John Daly yeah. got to write some diss tracks. I have wrote us <laughs> I wrote a theme song for Cannibal Kelly. Oh. Pretty good one. <laughs> now we're getting it down. But yeah, you're that is a good idea. I like that. There's a lot of songs I could write for some of our opponents. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we catch you guys in the next little while? Uh, August 12th, we're at Ringside Wrestling in Regina at the Eastview Community Center. Oh, no. Back to Regina? Uh, yeah, one more time. Except there's a fans bring the weapons match. I'm not in it, but I'm loading John Dale's van up with so much stuff. And then I'm just doing like an open sale at the intermission. I'm going to bring like a math book, other stuff that hurts to get hit with. Yeah, I hate Moses I, Luke mainly. I, That's the only reason. I got to ask a question here. Mm. I've just thought of this. Mm. Have you ever seen a wrestler use a loaded boot gimmick? Uh, we won the tag titles with John Dale's shoe. Which yeah. technically, oh, you're way ahead of me then. <laughs> which technically, which technically, which technically isn't loaded because it's a lift that he requires. Yeah. So. So it's just it, like I have, a disabi- I have a disability. So Get even though, it. like, it ended up in the ring, which w- was convenient and inconvenient for others, but it wasn't loaded technically. It's just like when Lex Luger used to do the uh, running elbow smash when he had the metal plate in it. It wasn't oh. illegal. Because he, that on he a, needed it. He, it was required. He like hurt his arm in a motorcycle crash. Yeah. 
He, he that's how he beats Hulk Hogan in '97. He hits him with the elbow to the head, right into the torture rack. Oof, I'm a yeah. <laughs> so Johnny Two Fingers and Lex Luger blazing trails together. Hell's yeah. Do a torture rack, Johnny Two Fingers. You actually, you could probably, you could probably torture rack people. Who? Anyone. You're like the perfect. They just gotta lay on on, on you, and then I you just, just have to hold them up. And then you just use your power, obviously. Well, I have been working out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we might have just came up with your perfect wrestling finisher. Nice. You got to practice it on your cats first, then we'll evolve. Children, as as per tradition. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then my little brother, and then <laughs> the ring. So, so you're in you're in the the cesspool of Regina, which I actually lived in Regina as a baby. My so you God. know, you know, even as I a know. baby, you know. <laughs> um, you're there on August 12th, and then you're in B, you're in BC, Vancouver. That's right. Well, we actually, played, uh, September second, we're playing somewhere, right, John? Wayne Stock, baby. It's Wayne Stock. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, then, we should go check out the Tyrell Museum, Kelly, on the Sunday. I wanted to talk to you about that. I thought the podcast would be a good time to ask. <laughs> uh, September second, Saskatoon Cores Event Center. What? We're playing yeah. there. Oh yeah. I but said I'm, all the, well, we should probably say that first. Yeah, well, we're doing that with and ben maybe I'll go to you. What did you say? Did you and say it was like Wayne Stalking and please let's you go said it was like a rock and roll shirt store? I'll go to there. Let's party. Museum, the, the biggest dinosaur museum in the world, Kelly. Oh god. Please, we'll wake up early on it's a Sunday. If it's not open, we don't have to go. We'll talk about it in the van. That'll be good. And then <laughs> then it's the are you, guys, are you guys driving there? Kelly drives. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's true, but that's that's a long, that's a long haul to Vancouver for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Then is it the next week we go to Vancouver after the second? Oh, so we're gonna drive back home and then oh. then we'll go to. Well, we have a few gigs. We go to Calgary at Vern's on whatever the heck the dates are. So it would be the Thursday. I think it's the seventh. Yeah. I'm looking them up. You keep talking. The eighth. The 8th in Calgary, the 9th in Columbus, the venue is called, some bar there, real nice ladies helping us with that, she's legit, and then, uh, uh, yeah, the next day is at that place in Vancouver with that them. place. Yeah. So do you know, what promotion are you wrestling, are you, is a wrestling show for? It's like. Oh, totally independent thing. It's kind of like uh, it, they, it's just kind of like this block party. That they own one of the businesses down in Vancouver and they have access to this parking lot. It's an open outdoor thing and it's just like a free event. I, I think they get advertisers to pay the uh, I saw pictures of it. It was like, it kind of reminded me of Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, and they're in the at the Foot Clan and they're fighting in the dump in that background thing. And there's oh, just like that, yeah. And it's yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be like without the foot soldiers, fun-loving people. Oh man, I'm bringing my gear. 
<laughs> I mean, you're used to wrestling in front of mutants in Regina, so it be. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes. Well, cross cross country, my friend. I'll have you know. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Charles. I you would know of him. Uh, do, do you know Daniel Makabe? Yes, yes, yeah. I do. Excellent guy. It'd be great if he was anywhere around that show, but he travels a lot for wrestling. But he's a great wrestler that you guys should get to know. Who's that? Daniel Makabe. Daniel Makabe? M A K A B E. Well, I'll have to look him up. Never heard of him. Great. One of the better technical wrestlers around. Nice. Out of Vancouver. Yeah, I I should be clear. I don't know him personally yet, but I know him as a wrestler. Yeah, he's a great wrestler. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do know him. Uh, I was lucky enough to get to meet him shortly before I met you guys. That was a year of meeting great wrestlers and great people for me. So, sweetheart. Okay, why don't we wrap it up from here, guys? Would you ever be interested in doing this again? Hells yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so thank you very much. Uh, Everybody, uh, we'll be back with another episode soon, I hope. Uh, But check out Johnny Two Fingers. Uh, Google Johnny Two Fingers and Cannonball Kelly, and you'll get a bit of both. Johnny Two Fingers and the Deformities, and then Google Cannonball Kelly, and you'll get to see both of their worlds colliding. Oh. Thanks, everyone. Russell Rock, baby. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having us. No problem.